Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 49 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Layla Jalili, a freelance fashion designer who has over a decade of experience working with brands like Helly Hansen, Under Armour, and 686. Before Layla started working as a freelancer, she worked in some higher level positions within brands as an employee, and she got gained tons of experience interviewing candidates, looking at designer portfolios, and going through the hiring process. So that was one of the reasons I invited her on the show. This episode is a great mix of what hiring managers are looking for in portfolios and in the interview, as well as Layla's experience with her freelance career. We talk about things you can do to help make your portfolio stand out, what you can do in the interview to help yourself get ahead of the competition. She also shares tons of examples of how to break into new markets or categories by creating opportunities for yourself. This is something she's done over and over in her career, and she shares exactly some strategies and ideas and self-directed projects that she did to break into new categories where she didn't have any experience. She also talks a lot about how she goes above and beyond for her freelance clients to show them that she's an expert and that she's really invested in their project and in their industry. And all of these things help her get more work. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. A quick favor. If you know someone who's maybe going through a freelance journey and struggling to get more work or wanting to get more work, or you know someone who's in the job hunting process and they are just fighting with their portfolio, they're getting interviews, but they're not getting the job, do them a favor and send them this episode. Take 30 seconds right now and hit pause and either text or email this episode to a friend right now who's trying to get more freelance work or trying to get a new opportunity in their design career. I know they'll appreciate it. Now, let's jump into the interview with Layla. A quick side note before you hit play and continue listening. You're not hitting play. You already hit play. Before you continue listening, a quick side note. The audio on this got a little messed up on my side. We had done some rearranging in my podcast recording booth, and it's a little bit crunchy. We softened it a little bit. Um, So I just want to let you know if the audio sounds a little off on my side, we did have some technical difficulties, but this interview was so great. I didn't want to not release it because of that. So just heads up on that. As always, you can access the show notes for today's episode at SF network.com slash 49. Welcome Layla to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Can you please start by introducing yourself to everybody and letting us know what you do in the fashion industry? Hi Heidi. Yes. Thanks for having me. My name is Layla Jalili. I am a freelance design consultant. I specialize in the design direction and development of performance, apparel, and technical outerwear for men's, women's, and youth. Awesome. And you have been in the industry quite a long time and have worked for um, some pretty substantial brands. Um, and, And you've done a fair amount of hiring and looking through designer portfolios And in some conversations you and I had uh, prior to recording this episode, we had some really interesting dialogues about, you know, what you see in portfolios and how you can kind of read a little bit in between the lines. So I'd love to start with just an overview of, of some of your thoughts and what you see designers doing in their portfolios that works or doesn't work. Um, And then we can kind of dig into that a little bit deeper. Sure. So just starting from the beginning, usually when a person's applying for a position, they send in their resume, they send in their cover letter, but also if it's design-specific related, a lot of companies are looking for a link to their online portfolio. And the reason why is it's a quick snapshot of them to visually see what that person has done. And because designers are creative and they're more like um, visually oriented. So if you can imagine that the hiring managers that way as well, it 
just lets them scroll through um, a digital platform and really be impressed or not be impressed. Yeah. So like right there, I'm like, okay, I can quickly scroll through. Maybe it's 30 seconds. It's, you know, everybody's really busy. It might be at a quick glance can make or break your opportunity. So can you talk about in your experience in hiring and browsing through tons of portfolios, like what are some of the first initial tips that you're like, okay, this can make it or this can break it. And I know that might be, you know, situation specific, but, but on like a, a global broad sweeping scale, you know, what are some things you could, you could talk about in terms of impressing or not impressing? So on a digital platform, it has to be user friendly. So if I'm looking at something like a website, it has to be easy to navigate, easy to scroll through, easy to kind of find what I'm looking for specifically and um, understand what's in front of me and get like a quick snapshot and it has to be very professionally laid out. Um, Otherwise, if I'm getting frustrated with it or if I'm not seeing what I need to see right away, I'm not going to give you the time and I'm just going to skip over it. Um, The other thing too is it's just easy to look at and share a link to someone's portfolio because it's not going to be just the one person looking at it. Chances are you're going to have um, fellow designers on the team, people that are part of upper management. So that is a quick way to share the information amongst the team members. Okay. And so as far as like putting together a portfolio that that speaks to me as a design director or hiring manager. Um, I mean, I know you work a lot in the, the outdoor apparel space, but can you talk a little bit about maybe some tips or ideas in terms of keeping your portfolio focused based on the work that you're going after? Sure. Um, I think people want to look at it in a couple of different ways. First of all, it depends what level you're applying for. If you're like coming out of school and maybe you're applying for like an entry-level assistant designer type um, or even an internship position, they're just going to want to see what you've done in school and your school projects. And so a lot of that is going to be based on these small like capsule collections with your croquis and your flats and your ideas of where you're getting your inspiration, um, how you're putting together color palettes, et cetera. And I think for the progression of a more associate designer or like a senior designer, you're just going to be building upon that. And from there, you need to show what's been commercialized and you need to show um, your return on investment that, look, these are my ideas. This is how I present And these have actually made it somewhere. So that company knows that they're getting their return on investment from you. Okay. And I want to talk a little bit more through something you said there. Um, And you kind of mentioned it specifically in terms of the, you know, if you're looking for your first job out of school and you've got some school projects to show, they're looking for, and this, this, I I believe, so confirm what you've seen in your experience translates into, you know, whether you're then going for an associate or senior designer position. Um, You mentioned, you know, how you put your color palette together so that might, me some inspiration collages and some imagery where you're pulling those ideas from and then your croquis and then your flats and so it's this whole concept of like showing your process as a designer can you talk a little bit about that sure people want to see how you think where you draw your inspiration from how well you're visually organized um thinking about something from start to finish, all the steps, all the parts and pieces and how it translates. Because in the real world at a company, when you're doing a presentation, sometimes the people who are the executives or, you know, the managers, they don't necessarily have that hands-on design background. Yes, they've been in the garment industry for a while, but they didn't necessarily go to design school and, you know, learn Adobe Illustrator, for example. So you need to be able to show something in a visual manner that is appealing to them and they understand 
that yes, this person really knows how to design. They really know how to think through the pro the process and the product and take it to where it needs to go. Okay. And so it's almost like someone who, like you said, maybe, yeah, they've been in the industry a long time, but they don't, they're not, may, may not necessarily be a designer per se. And so walking them through like, okay, I didn't just sketch this garment. Like this is kind of where the idea came from. And I pulled this from here. And like, what led you to that finished design or collection or, or textile print, whatever it may be, what that exactly. journey was in your head as a designer? Exactly. And some things that are really important is what sites do you go to? Where do you do your research? Where do you get your inspiration from? Who are some style influencers you follow? What are some brands that you like? What's your personal style? Um, they, they want to see that what you're presenting is either going to be a good fit with their brand and their product or where they want to take the company aligns with something you've done in the past or your vision or your type of thought process or the market perhaps that you're catering to. So there has to be some kind of a connection that they can quickly grasp and see. Another thing um, in addition to this is if you have a notebook with hand sketches or ideas or notes or just, they call that like more concept design. For some companies, that's more important than and what has actually made it to the store shelf, believe it or not. Mm. Yeah, because they're looking for somebody who can think outside the box, who has an outside perspective, who can maybe breathe some fresh air into a stale product or stale category and has a different way of thinking about things. And that's also where some people who have done maybe industrial design or uh, something a little bit different, or graphic design. It's still like a creative educational process, right? It's still visual. But when you're applying that to fashion, you have a different way of problem solving, of visualizing things, of seeing things, of presenting things. And that also sparks the interest and attention of the person who's reviewing your portfolio. Okay. And so you mentioned like like an actual physical sketchbook where you're doing stuff on pen and paper or maybe like taping tears from magazines in there. So how do I include how do I incorporate that into a digital format? So you can scan it, digitize it, and then pull that into maybe your AI presentation or create a PDF or pull it into your um, online portfolio. Okay. And it, that way it'll show in a clean manner. And some people, when they're doing a face-to-face -face interview with you and you're actually showing up with like, you know, your portfolio that's bound in a case or, or your notebook, et cetera, they, they like those hands-on things that they can kind of quickly flip through as well. So it's almost like people just want everything. They want it laid out for them on a silver platter so they can see you've got everything covered, you know, tactile and digital, visual, all your bases are covered and it comes across very complete and professional. Okay. And so speaking of like digital and physical portfolios, um, cause I've heard, I've heard kind of varying, uh, advice on this as to, okay, I have a digital portfolio and I can just bring in an iPad and I can flip through that in the interview versus I've heard people say, no, you need the digital portfolio to send initially, but then you show up, you actually need a book. What are, what are your thoughts and experiences with that? So in my experience, you, more is better than not enough. Kind of like how they say when you're doing an interview, dress one notch above what the standard is at the office. Mm. It's always better to be overdressed. In my opinion, it's always better to be overprepared because you need to be ready for anything. There could be someone who's younger, who's more interested in that digital format, and there could be somebody who's older, who's more interested in a, a catalog or a book or something that they can actually flip through. And another thing that's really going to score big is if you bring in actual garments, whether it's something that you sewed yourself. Um, if you sewed it yourself, it has to be quite good quality. You can't just be something really sloppy, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but people love to be able to see something and either try it on or visualize themselves in it or just, just look at it because it's engaging more senses. You know, you're able to touch something and engage in it and react to it. And it creates like an emotional connection and they're going to remember you that way. Like, wow, this person, it's like a 360 degree view. It's, they have 3d examples as well. It really makes a big, big impression. And sometimes if you're lacking in one area, um, but maybe you have like amazing samples, you know, that could really be your in. Okay, that's a great point. No one's um, mentioned that before, but I love that idea. So maybe it's just like bringing a small bag with like three or three to five pieces that you can show because then like details never get translated well enough in an illustration or in a, in a, even a photo as they do with, like you said, a real 360 degree 3d view of, of the actual product that you helped design or created. Um, and then on that note, I think this is where a lot of designers get stuck because I've heard people say things like, well, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent responsible for every little thing that went into this. And so I think people get really nervous about showing that. And then, you know, how do they, what kind of a disclaimer do they have to make? Or like, where do they draw the line between at some point this, all of this is a team effort. Um, most of the time, it's not just one person responsible for start to finish. So, you know, is that something that the hiring managers just understand or like, how much do I need to explain what I was or wasn't responsible for with every project or garment? That's an excellent question. And I think as a person who is interviewing for a position, you want to focus on your strengths. You want to focus on what you brought to the table. And you also want to be able to communicate that in collaboration with your team, it was you who had to facilitate putting all the parts and pieces together in order for this garment to take the next step. And that's really important because they want to know that you can work with other individuals and you can almost like manage the design process, not just be a small part of it, but really be connected with everyone else and collaborate. And if there are examples that you have of, yes, maybe somebody designed this print for me and I plopped it in this garment, but... I can also, here's an example of a print that I designed on my own, you know, just to, like I said before, cover your bases and show like what you're capable of as an individual, what you're capable of in collaboration with the team, mm -hmm. and also maybe what your vision is of how your working style and how you would be working with that particular company you're interviewing with. Okay. Awesome. Um, and then I want to also um, talk a little bit more about, you made the comment of like, you know, going into the interview prepare, being overly prepared, having more to show than not enough. Um, and this is an interesting space, I think, because, and, and this is from what I've seen um, in, in certain people's portfolios is, especially online when I'm like glancing at it and maybe if I were in the, the shoes of a hiring manager there's so much content that it's almost like I'm really distracted. I get overwhelmed. I see a variety of different projects, maybe in different categories. So can you talk a little bit about like what you like to see? Um, I mean, yes, I want to make sure I have enough, but then I think this is where people get really stuck and then they're like, well, I show too much and they start showing projects that aren't as strong just because now they're thinking quantity over quality and, and they show, oh, I can do handbags and I can do men's shorts and I can do lingerie and it's like, ah, really all over the place. So can you talk a little bit about like, where's that fine line between being focused and showing your best work versus then being nervous of not having enough to show? So Heidi, I think it boils down to if this portfolio is for a job opportunity, how do you make it custom to the um, interviewer? How do you make it custom for that company? Because obviously whatever um, app position that you're applying for it's going to be like men's or women's or kids. And it's, and in some cases it's, it's even like pants only or jackets only or lingerie or this and that or accessories. 
So you have to make sure you have something that's organized and focused. And if it's an opportunity that's more broad, where you're going to be maybe the lead for an entire women's cat, uh, women's side of the business, and that's going to involve multiple categories, then you need to show everything from accessories up to apparel. Mm. So it really has to do with like the end application of who's going to be seeing that, which is why I was saying, you know, if you're organizing it visually, um, an online portfolio, you need to have like the tabs and the space. And what is helpful, I think, if you collaborate with your friends or maybe it's your mentor or your teachers or your fellow students and how people look at it, like practice talking to people, um, you know, even if you have to like do it to your parents or something, like have it like a mock interview or just show them because I think it's really important to get feedback from different points of view and the more you're comfortable um, just rehearsing and showing people and engaging, the more natural it's going to be and the more confident you're going to be about um, sharing your work with others and how to show your work with others. Okay. And so if I am like, look, if, if maybe I do have experience in, let's say, three really different categories but I am actively looking for a job and I am interested in all three of those categories. It's just a matter of creating a different tab or different section in my website that speaks to each of those individually. And when I am sharing my portfolio with, let's say the lingerie brand, I send them the link directly to the lingerie page that gives them that experience and versus, you know, the men's page or whatever. Is that how you would go about it? I think that makes sense. And I think it's important because there's a lot of um, various portfolio platforms out there that you can utilize. I think it's important to do your research and kind of see what A is going to work best for you and maybe be the easiest to use and set up. And um, this is, I think it's going to take a while to figure it out because everyone has their own kind of learning style and ability and um, their own type of product that they want to show. So whether maybe you're in graphic design versus fashion design or industrial design, you know, I don't think ever, there's like one platform that's suitable for everybody and everything. Sure. Uh, do you have a favorite for you personally? Um, I don't. I'm still exploring that. <laughs> Since I'm in the process, believe it or not, of building something for myself, I'm very strong face-to-face because I come to the table with many different things like we just discussed garments my computer a uh, lookbook catalogs and I think my personal problem is it's I've just done so much in my career it's it's almost like where am I going to focus and so I just try to tailor it to uh, the company that I'm working with, if I'm doing, I want to secure a freelance contract and they want to see examples of what I've done and I have the opportunity to fly out and meet them or vice versa, they come to me, I want to bring my game, my strongest point of view so that like right away I'm making an impression. They know I'm legit and I'm professional. Gotcha. So then like any tricks on getting your foot in the door since you're like, I, I once I can talk to them personally, I know you know, I can do my best job at showing who I am and what I can do as a designer. Um, but like, you're still in that space of like navigating the whole online portfolio area, which is a challenging space. It's like, I I think we chatted before I take it for granted that my husband is a programmer and does all my online stuff, uh, for me or has taught me to do a lot of it myself, but it is a big undertaking. And so any tricks or, or, you know, ways that you kind of initiate that conversation and then get in there for the interview, since you do know, once you get in there, you can present yourself really well. Sure. Networking is number one. It's really about who, you know, And I know that um, LinkedIn is a good space to connect with people because chances are somebody you know knows somebody or a hiring manager at whatever company you're you're interested in working for. Um, Also taking opportunities to do industry mixers. Um, There's, you know, events on like Eventbrite, et cetera, or if it's someone you're following such as yourself, Heidi, I know you had an event in LA recently 
taking advantage of these opportunities, like meeting fellow people, because chances are somebody knows someone and it'll get you a connection. Um, trade shows are another great way to get your foot in the door and be seen and get in the industry. I remember when um, Outdoor Retailer had a competition for students to you know, build a garment in like a few days and it was their mission to walk around to the fabric and trim vendors and they had these sewing machine stations set up for them and they had to come up with like a mood board and get all these materials together and actually build something and then it was a competition. So at the, at the end of the show, somebody would win and then it would secure them like an internship somewhere. I mean, you really have to just do the research and do what it takes to get yourself out there, you know? And it's very important, I think, to take advantage of the services and networking opportunities your school provides, especially through some of those internships, because, you know, if it's paid, it's great. And that's something you can secure over the summer or, um, you know, over one of the semesters. And you're definitely going to make contacts that way. And when you are interning at a company, if you go the extra mile, they're going to remember you, they're going to love you, they're really going to try to bring you back and and secure like an assistant position for you so you can get started. Yeah, I love that because it's like as much as we get really stuck focusing on like, ah, I have to have this perfect online portfolio, it's still also so important, arguably not more important to like physically get out there and have those conversations and build those relationships um and you know do that quote-unquote scary thing that many of us hate of like networking like what do I say and I think it's just (laughs) I read an article recently and it's like don't go out there with the mindset of I am here to network and to ask you if you can give me a job or there's something to be gained on the other side of it but more going out there and having conversations with like-minded people you're just meeting people and making friends and building relationships and and we all have something in common so just go out there and have some conversations and talk about industry stuff and and engage with people. Absolutely. And I think it's important. You need to be in your element. You need to be engaged and relaxed and personable. And if you're not, if like there's something in your gut and you're feeling uncomfortable, I think that's kind of like a heads up, like your body telling you either you need to like loosen up and relax or practice, or maybe just take baby steps in this approach. It's important to find what works for the individual and not everyone's going to go about it the same way. And I think if something feels forced, it's really going to reflect. People are going to pick up on that vibe. Like it's, you're just not going to mesh with them. Yeah, I think, I mean, much, much, much easier said than done. Um, But something that comes easier with practice, like going out to events or meetups or, you know, wherever you're looking, but just start with baby steps and go to something really casual that maybe at a bar versus, you know, showing up blindly to a trade show, I think can feel super intimidating. Um, And on that note, I want to talk a little bit about what you just did, because I know you came out to Colorado for the Outdoor Retailer Show. We unfortunately missed each other, but um, you made a comment, and you came out here on your own, uh, and you did some some side projects sort of self-directed that really blew some people out of the water. Can you talk a little bit about what you did and how that all worked? Sure. So I used my industry contacts to attend Outdoor Retailer and I actually had um, a few companies who were featuring my designs. So I felt it was very important for me to, to have a presence there. I was networking and trying to meet new people, attending seminars, and it was a great opportunity for me to like um, pass out my business card and get connected with people. Um, in doing so, I, I did what we call market research. You know, you're attending presentations, um, you're taking pictures. I went and shopped some of the stores uh, downtown Denver, and I spent some extra time after the show to shop the market in um, Breckenridge and Keystone and some of these um, destination ski resort towns and really see what was out there. And of course, some of the product was my own um, styles that I'd worked on, which was really cool, but also just seeing what's out there with brands. And then in taking all these pictures, I put together like a trend report or a market research report. And this is something um, I 
you know, started doing when I was um, working at some select companies because, you know, if someone's spending X amount of dollars to send you someplace, they want to get something from it in return. And for me, it was very important to become visually organized and take my photographs and by um, organizing them and cataloging them, I start to see these trends and I start to catch on like, oh, wow, like, look how much tie-dye was out there or camo or like this color blue or something, or I'm seeing this brand everywhere. Like I've never even heard of them. Who are they? And, and so I think it's important that you're doing your market research and to put this together in like some kind of a presentation. I know everyone has like their own different format. Um, they'll do it like, you know, maybe an Excel spreadsheet or they'll do it in Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop or something. Um, my most recent report, I was practicing uh, keynote, which is like a presentation software. I thought I found that was really fun. And I ended up putting together this report. It touched on what I saw. I was able to categorize it, label it and, um, show it in a recent interview with a prospective client. And they were so impressed. They thought, wow, you have so much passion for your craft that you do these things for fun, you know? And I say, well, I mean, I do it for like research and education, but yes, I certainly do enjoy doing it because it's a creative project. Mm -hmm. But you like see that as just as an umbrella statement. That's just part of your job as a freelancer is to go out there and to continually be active. Like you weren't there for a specific client doing specific research on a task you were paid to be doing. This is just part of your job to keep up on the space that you focus in, which is outdoor and, and lifestyle type of product. So for you, it came very naturally. But I think for a lot of people, it's a mindset shift of like, you know, what is my job? What did someone actually tell me to do versus where do I see opportunity for me to stay up on the market, stay up on my category and and then have the opportunity to show that, which you would you did it and you were going to do it whether or not you had the opportunity to show it to anybody. Right. Correct. I, I essentially did it for myself because um, for me, I saw it as a very useful tool, and it and it is something that I'm going to refer back to and utilize. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's one of those things, you know, we were talking about before we started recording of, like, you know, just doing a little bit of going above and beyond in in your work, and whether that's as a freelancer or an independent contractor or as an employee, um, it's important to take that extra step. And... Can you talk a little bit about how you see that type of effort, that type of ambition in a person helping take them, you know, from the intern to the assistant, to the associate, to the junior, senior, to the design director? Can you talk a little bit about how that works in terms of working your way up in a career? Absolutely. It all stems from your passion and your drive, your motivation, Everybody wants a job they love. And I think in order for that to be fulfilling and really to look at it like a career, it, it has to be something you are in tune with, that you enjoy, that doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. And the one great thing about fashion is that it's so visual, it's so creative. You can look at maybe a flower or maybe um, some jewelry or, you know, maybe some you took a trip somewhere and you saw a really cool building and you can build on this inspiration and maybe pull all that into like a shoe or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. People look at the world around them and draw inspiration from everything and they put a twist on it, use their imagination and their creativity to um, progress the category they're working on or the, the garment or the styles or whatever it is that they're working on and just kind of push it to like the new next level. And I think a lot of the influence of the world around you, what you like to do, what your passions are, what your hobbies are, it all ends up being connected and intertwined. And that's why if you're in a position where it's feeling like work or it's a job or, you know, it's like a strain or stressful and it's not fun and you're not feeling um, the passion, then that's kind of a heads up, like something's up. Because really, 
you know, as you were saying, like going above and beyond, that should just come naturally because you're curious, you want to learn, you want to experience new things, you want to try new things. You're not afraid to take risks. You want to concept some ideas and push something forward because it's within you. You're driving it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes absolute sense. And like you said, if that if that's feeling forced or it's not coming naturally, maybe you need to kind of rethink the path you're on, no? Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes it might be the environment. It might be, you know, your coworker, your boss. It might be... Um, Let's say, oh, I, I, maybe it's the category, like you're more inclined to do women's than men's or vice versa. I think you have to give yourself a chance to find what you like about the position, what you want to get out of it, and make that part of your goal and your focus. And then once you feel that you've kind of like tapped out of that energy, then you kind of know it's time to move on and find the next thing that you're really excited about or you're driven to do. And, and in some cases, it, you know, I've seen people go from like footwear to apparel or maybe move into accessories or go from maybe graphic design to um, clothing design. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It might not be like, oh, I'm just, I can't deal with the fashion industry in general. It's, there's so many different um, niches out there, you know, so many different levels of it that you can explore and, and kind of figure out what's going to work with for you. And I think at every age, um, at every stage, it's going to evolve. It's a natural process. Yeah. And so on that note, because um, I mean, I think it it can be easy to get stuck in a rut where you're like, I'm just this company is not working for me. My coworkers are not working the product. I don't like, I just, it's just not working. And I'm losing that natural passion and curiosity and drive to push me forward. And so as a result, you just, I think you do kind of get stuck in a rut. And so, um, I, that kind of takes us full circle back to the portfolio stuff where, you know, you've been in hiring position many times at some pretty substantial sized, you know, very big global brands. And let's say I am at this other company and I want, I'm in, I'm doing, you know, denim and I want to break into lingerie or, or men's to women's, but like, I don't have that in my portfolio. So what are some ways as an aspiring designer at any age of my career when I maybe want to take a right turn, how can I do that? Like, how can I say, you know, God, I want to try this new category. I want to get back into this other category, but my, my, my work is really outdated in that. Like, how do I present myself creatively and in a way that I want to show them I can do the job, but maybe this is a new space. What do I do to get over that barrier? So if you're willing to spend the time, you start putting something together and you start, you know, cutting out your TV time or whatever it is and really making use of a side project, focusing on it and and building upon that and using that as your creative outlet, like your your maker space to build upon something you are excited about, you are passionate about where you want to show like, I'm so into this and I like doing it. I like working on it and I'm putting this together for me and I'm going to put it in my portfolio and it might not have anything to do with my day job, but it, it shows that you can create an extension of yourself and reinvigorate yourself. And I can give you an example of when I graduated college, I was really into snowboarding and I was trying to get work in the action sports industry and snowboarding was fairly new. There weren't too many um, outerwear companies that specialized in it. And so I, as I was trying to secure a position in the industry, I ended up, you know, doing an internship that was unpaid. I got product, et cetera. Um, I ended up doing some freelance projects that were unpaid. I, you know, got some accessories, you know, a trip to a trade show, etc. And I started actually like making my own outerwear, um, getting things from the thrift store, taking it apart, putting it back together, 
from all the fabric and trims I acquired, I started uh, making um, custom gear for myself and wear testing it. And it became a really um, invaluable educational experience because even though no one has was paying me or employing me like full time to be in the snowboarding industry, I was still a part of it by doing my own thing and like myself. And um, after a few years, uh, I, I was a snowboard coach for a while. So I was on the snow for a long time. And after a few years, just through networking, I made this connection through a f- freelance job um, to land my first gig. And this was at Helen Hansen. You know, that was pretty significant. Yeah. And it was just because the girl I had worked with at Sim Snowboards went to Helen Hansen. She became a product line manager and she remembered me and a position came up for a product developer. And she thought, I had such a great time, you know, working with Layla. She was really knowledgeable and I really liked her approach. And even though our project lasted less than six months, I think she'd be perfect fit for this role. So, you know, I interviewed and went through the process and, you know, after I got there, um, I started a wear testing program and just became like the outer wear, like winter sports uh, lead for men's and women and was really able to bring all my um, field knowledge to the product and help improve it, it um, my, from my personal experiences and also in like, you know, talking with the team and, and getting information from them and like communicating via email or on the phone or whatnot. And, you know, that's just something I was really passionate about and I just felt driven to do it because I wanted to be really good at what I did. And I wanted the knowledge. I wanted to learn. I wanted to make the best, best product I possibly could. And, you know, and for a while there, I wasn't necessarily, you know, prior to getting hired at that company, I wasn't necessarily getting paid, but I, I feel like that educational experience was invaluable. Yeah. So I see it as this way of like, if you're if the opportunity is not sitting in front of you at your job or within the freelance work that you're getting paid for then you just have to create that opportunity for you and that's where you need to dig deep inside yourself and you need to find that curiosity and find that drive to do that self-directed project to have something to show and if if you don't have it enough to do that then maybe it's not right at all and and you need to think of something else or figure out something else but find that curiosity to create something that you can then show or maybe even like you said leads to an industry contact a friend of a friend or some type of relationship that gets you that opportunity to get your foot in the door at a new category um, or in a step above a higher level position than you currently are in so just being creative to figure out how to create that that opportunity for yourself yes and you shouldn't have to rack your brain for it it, it needs to be something that um, you know, like I was saying before, it, it comes naturally. It's just an extension of of your personality, of like what your interests are, like where you want to go, what you want to do. You really need to break it down into very simplistic form and um, just just try to capitalize on your passions and your and your talents. And you know, it it's I think it's okay to take some time and explore that and figure it out. And it really, it should be something that happens organically. It definitely should not be forced because if you're forcing it, it's, it's not going to be right. Right. Yeah. I've, I've found that, um, I mean, I've had that firsthand experience with things in life. I think if, if anyone out there listening is really, uh, honest and accurate self-assessment, I think we've all probably experienced something like that where we're like forcing it because that's what someone told us we should do, or that's what our parents want us to do. But we're like, this is not working for me. And you have to be okay to let that go and find the thing that does work for you. Yes. Yes. And you have to realize that you're an individual. You're different. You're not going to be your neighbor or your best friend or whatever that person is on YouTube or whoever that influencer is that you admire. It has to be yours. It has to be you. I, you cannot try to copy or emulate someone else. It's just not going to work because you're on your own like different wavelength. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd love to get um, a little bit more of your insights on, uh, I think we mentioned a little bit earlier, it also came up in, in a previous conversation you and I had, um, from a hiring manager's perspective, you've made the comment that you can kind of read in between the lines in someone's portfolio. And so I'd, 
I'd love to hear, you know, what does that actually mean? What are you seeing that you interpret as something else that the designer may not see? Or I don't even know. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, depending upon, like, you know, what the position is and what the, what the level is of expertise, um, you know, if I'm hiring for someone who's maybe a junior level assistant or something, I just want to basically see that they understand and get the fundamentals of the job and that, um, you know, they have the design skills and bandwidth. Um, they know like Illustrator, Photoshop, etc. And um, for some positions, maybe if it's a little bit higher up, like a senior level, I want to know that these people have like a vision. I want to see that they understand like technical details and construction. I want to be able to see that like they understand the process from beginning to end. So when I'm looking at these visuals that they're presenting to me, I'm going to kind of reflect on my own experience and I'm going to think, okay, did this person, you know, do this research? How did they come to this? Um, when they draw something, do they actually understand their illustration, you know, and um, get prepare a list of questions? Um, I personally, I like to kind of dive into the nitty gritty details because I really want to know if someone knows what they're doing. Um, so like, let's say, for example, the way they've like prepared um, a technical, like a spec pack, you know, nowadays in school, there's a lot of details involved. Like people are you actually listing out the name of the contractor, um, the trim supplier, fabric supplier, like their address, phone number, and like learning like that sourcing element of it, you know, and, and you can see that they, they have those details they are detail oriented. Like my mindset is, is I want to make sure that this person's going to be, let's say, better than me if I'm in this role or in this job. So I'm going to ask them very specific questions that's going to make them answer in a way that will divulge their skill level. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Yeah, no, I think it does. Um, I mean, it's, you know, bottom line said very bluntly, it's a matter of, like, going in there, like, you need to know what you're talking about. Um, that you understand how the construction work, how the garment gets put together, you know, how to call out all these things in a, in a tech pack or a, a, a spec sheet. So, um, no, I mean, it, it all makes clear sense to me. I'm curious to know, you know, what are, in your experience of going through these interviews and these hiring processes, like what are some of the things that, um, you know, maybe advice out there for the listeners. Like, what are some things you see designers that do very well, or and what are some things that you see, like common mistakes you see a lot of designers make, whether that be in their portfolio or just in the actual interview process that that listeners could take away and apply to their their next job hunt. So, I've seen people ap- apply for a position that has nothing to do with where their expertise lies, what their resume looks like, what their portfolio is showing me. And I know that some hiring managers want a fresh perspective, but at the end of the day, you need to come in and understand what it is that you're going to be doing and have some kind of knowledge around that. Because this isn't like fashion school 101. I'm not going to sit down and like hold your hand and teach you everything. So if I'm hiring for an apparel designer, don't come in with a footwear portfolio because I need to know that you know clothes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and maybe I love your your the shoes that you've designed and your lookbook's amazing and you've got really great like, you know, um Photoshop and Illustrator skills, but at the end of the day, what do you know about designing clothes? Are you going to be able to like understand, you know, how to draw and develop and spec out and build like, you know, um, build a bill of material like bombs? Are you going to be able to like participate in a fitting? Are you going to understand like the construction behind this and communicate with your partners and like, you know, tech design, etc.? Are you going to understand like the build and when you're at a factory or like dealing with sourcing issues or costing, like 
like there's a lot, you know, and I, and I see so many people who are interested in doing something and they want to break into it, but they're not showing me that they have a baseline that's relevant. So where do we get that baseline then? Is that just going after self-directed projects and maybe getting help from a friend who we know that works in apparel if we work in footwear? Like what would that really look like? So that baseline is, I believe what we talked about earlier, it's like if you can get like an internship, if you can do a side project, if you can maybe, maybe your friend like has a startup and you want to help them with that, like, um, cause essentially you can't expect that prospective employer to take you through this job 101. You have to have something, you, you know, and, and maybe you have some skills um, that you bring to the table. Like if I'm looking for a production artist or something, if you've got like amazing like illustrator or Adobe skills and you can help with like putting the presentations together, you can start there. But that's a, that's a production artist. That's not an apparel designer. Mm-hmm. So you see what I'm saying? It's like there has to be some kind of a step of relevance. Um, otherwise, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm just that type of person where I'm not going to hire somebody if I don't see them being able to jump right in and get started and help the team because we need help for hiring because we don't have the time or the bandwidth. Right. So just getting creative with figuring out a way to create that experience and create that opportunity for you to learn. And that could be in the way of like finding some project on the side. Like you said, maybe a friend that has a startup and you offer to help them for free just to get the experience in the portfolio or taking a step down in your role and your skill set and starting a little bit at a position under where you're currently at, but in a new category and then learning, proving, you know, I know the baseline, but I'm going to learn the ins and outs of apparel versus footwear and then working your way up that way. Did I, would I have interpreted that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I believe Heidi, your background was originally in graphic design, correct? That is absolutely correct. (laughs) And, And you were an expert at illustrator and you were able to take that expertise and start applying that into the world of apparel. Right. Yeah, and it all started, you know, that's funny because I, I, I know my story. Obviously, I lived it, but that's how it started. I had the graphic design experience. That was my degree, but I wanted to do something in fashion so badly that that's where that curiosity and that drive just came and kind of took over me. And I started sewing a bunch of clothes and I started doing local craft fairs and fashion shows. And that's how I got my first job in the industry because I had, you know, my my computer skills and then I also had this portfolio of all this product I had created on my own and it literally started from zero I mean no one was paying me to do it I was just sewing and making stuff and it grew and blossomed from there and like you said that create that opportunity that you create for yourself it should come pretty naturally and that's exactly how it came for me it was like I had to do it I wanted it so badly I physically couldn't not do it Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So it's that, that drive, it's, it's within you, you know, it's like, you just can't contain it. It wants to come out. Yeah. Um, okay. So I love that really, really, uh, uh, easy to see, or, or at least clear and easy for me to see, you know, how you create those experiences and opportunities for yourself. Um, what are on the other side of the coin, like what are some creative ways or really impressive things you've seen designers do just in the way they present themselves, whether that be their portfolio or, you know, just maybe going above and beyond to get their foot in the door and secure an opportunity? Um, I think people who are willing to explore different avenues outside um, the boundaries of like the office space. Um, people who are willing to start conversations um, outside their areas of expertise with others who are an expert in the field, people who um, put their thoughts down on paper and like a notebook and explore new ways of thinking. Um, if you're well read, if you're well traveled, if you you know ex- experienced the world, uh, that has a lot to say for you know things that. You- you bring to the table and I've been really impressed with um designers and up and coming designers and 
if, if I can relate to them, if they have a story that's similar to my own, I totally understand where they're coming from and I can appreciate it. And I think it's, you know, invaluable that experience. That's fantastic. Um, and so some, on some level too, I think that's just a matter of like being yourself and going after what interests you. Like if you're interested in traveling or you love to read all these books and you're continually sort of doing self-directed learning and education, that in many ways is organically going to relate back to the work that you love and you do. Yes, absolutely. You, I think it's so essential. We're here to follow our passions and our pursuits and do what we love. As soon as that stops, it's almost like you're losing a piece of you, a part of you, like you're losing yourself. Like you have to follow the path. It just, you'd like your calling, you know, what makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, this has been so great to chat with you, Layla, and really, really fantastic ideas and advice and takeaways. Um, where can everybody find or connect with you online? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, and I am at uh, Layla Jalili, L-E-I-L-A-J-A-L-I-L-I is how you spell my name. Um, I also have a Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> so that's also under my name. And then um, once I get my online portfolio built up, that'll be, um, you'll be able to find me there on my LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, I'll put the link to your LinkedIn and Twitter in the show notes. Um, and I will end with a question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing people never ask you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they did? Um, wow, that's a great question. Um, they never ask me about overtime and <laughs> <laughs> the reality of how much you really end up putting in if you want to achieve a certain level of success and professionalism. Um, I think, you know, some of us go above and beyond and maybe because we're like obsessed or we're perfectionists. But I don't think people understand, like, when you are so in love with something and you're, you're like, all about it, you just don't even realize the time going by. And next thing you know, you've been, you've been somewhere for, like, 12 hours straight. You know, I don't think that's the norm, and it's certainly not healthy. But I don't think people understand, like, you, you do have to put in your time if you want to get at a certain level. Yeah, you have to, you know, put that extra effort in. It's not just a matter of doing the job, doing exactly what someone told you to do. Go a little bit above and beyond. Yeah, and if you love it, you you don't even know that it's happening. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, it's very important to establish a balance and, and you know, be healthy and take breaks and take your lunch and um, make sure that you're – giving yourself that rest and away from your computer because otherwise burnout will set in very, very quickly. Yeah, there's a fine line between doing a lot of work, going above and beyond, and absolutely burning yourself out and killing yourself. And you shouldn't, you don't let it get that far. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been really fantastic to chat with you and hear about all uh, your stories and experiences uh, in the industry. Really helpful stuff. Thanks, Heidi. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast with Layla. I appreciate each and one of every one of you. Now, quick reminder, if you do know someone who would benefit from the content, the advice, the insights, the tips that Layla shared in this episode, I'm sure they would appreciate it if you let them know. So take 30 seconds and text or email this episode to a friend of yours who would benefit from all the great information Layla shared with us. Last, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 49. Thanks so much, you guys. I'll talk to you in the next Successful Fashion Designer podcast episode.